continuing today in Judges. So turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 20. We have, uh, we are winding down this journey through this fascinating uh, book of the Bible, and we see so much. And, and if we're not careful, we'll get caught in the obscurity of it all and wonder, what is going on here? What am I supposed to take from this? And, uh, and we also can very easily look at them and think, how could they ever do those things? These were the people of God. And, 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 and it's even tempting to look at this and assess where our world is and say, oh, it must be like that. It's, there's not much different from the book of Judges and the world that we live in. And there's not. But it's very easy to look at others and their faults. It's harder, but more important and more rewarding to allow the Bible to speak to our own lives and say, Lord, what do I need to learn about myself in this? And I would say the book of Judges in a lot of ways mirrors what is taking place in our world. And I would even say even in parts of American evangelicalism, we even see just as the people of God strayed and worshipped falsely and mis uh, misaligned their trust, we too struggle with that in our day and age as the people of God in America. Because the Bible is meant to be a mirror for us to look into and say, what needs to change about me? We began each of these messages with a question, and all of them were different, but these last three chapters are wrapped up together. It's one story. And so the question remains the same. What happens when God's people become their own worst enemy? So let's further reiterate in this. Let's further understand. Let's further remember what it comes down to is that we need God. It doesn't seem like that should be something you would have to say to Christians to, uh, for us to realize and to remember that. It should just be automatic. It should just be, it should just happen. But we need to remember every day because remember we talked about last week that the enemy has been lying to us from day one. As soon as uh, Adam and Eve came to the, uh, to the tree of life, the enemy was there. The serpent, he lied to them. Hey, God just doesn't want you to eat this because God doesn't want you to know things that he knows. God wants you, doesn't want you to be like him. And if you do, that's what you will be able to accomplish. You can be your own God. You can be self-sufficient. You can be all you need in your life. That's a lie from the enemy. It's the lie that he's been telling all along, and it's a lie that if we are not careful, if we do not force ourselves to remember, if we do not humble ourselves and say, God, I need you day in and day out, then we are tempted to listen to the same lie and to believe it in our own lives. We must 
remind ourselves every day, I need Jesus. I need him to change me. I need him to rearrange my life. I need him to infiltrate the depths of my heart and renew it. I need God to change me from the inside out. And I need Jesus to redeem me day in and day out. You see, Jesus is not meant to be just one thing that when you're young and a child in a VBS or whatever, you believe and you've got it settled and you're, you're going to heaven now and everything's good. That's not what this is meant to be. Jesus is meant to be Lord and Savior of our lives day in and day out, dependence upon him day in and day out, abiding with him day in and day out, being, being dependent upon him. And that's what we see in these chapters, these obscure stories, these atrocities that the people of God were committing. That's what we see is that we need Jesus. So let's look at this passage. Let's see what is here. And let me remind you as we get into it, we left off the story with everyone forging their own paths. Remember, no one is named by name. They're all anonymous. Just the anonymous Levite, the anonymous secondary wife, the anonymous father-in-law. And these groups of people came in, but they were all anonymous because they're meant to represent the entirety of the people of God. They're to say any Levite would have lived this way. Any uh, concubine would have lived this way. Any father-in-law would have lived this way. Any woman would have lived this way. Any priest would have lived this way. It was meant to help us to see that everyone was forging their own path, living their own life, living their best life now, and doing whatever they wanted to for their own good and for what they thought was right in their own eyes and not what was right in God's eyes. And they ended up doing stupid stuff from their own best thinking. And my kids are there in here right now and say, oh, Dad said a bad word, but it was just dumb. They did dumb stuff. And stupid stuff spreads to others. And so everybody was doing dumb stuff. Everyone is, cons is consulting everyone except the one who is actually in control. They're like, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? Let's do this. I want to do that. What I want to do this. And everyone was consulting themselves and everyone else, but no one was consulting their God and saying, God, what do you want us to do? How should we live our lives? How should we progress here? And it's very easy for us to say, well, man, I can't believe they do that. But man, I struggle with that every day. Well, I don't know. Should I do this? I don't know. Should I do that? What do you think? What do you think? And I should just get on my knees and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? And so we see in these passages, I want to read uh, the first 12 verses to you of chapter 20. And I want you to see just something Crazy taking place here in, in Israel in the day of the judges. All the Israelites from Dan to Beersheba and from the land of Gilead came out. Now that phrase, Dan to Beersheba, was just a fancy way of saying what he already said, all the Israelites. And so from Dan, that was the very tip top of where the Israelites were living to Beersheba all the way down to the bottom. So from top to bottom, from every single one, all the Israelites came. And in case you were wondering, even from the land of Gilead. So they're saying all of them came. 
And the community assembled as one body before the Lord at Mizpah. That is a very important phrase. Listen to that. And the whole community assembled as one body before the Lord. The leaders of all the people and of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of God's people, 400,000 armed foot soldiers. The Israelites asked, tell us, how did this evil act happen? Now remember, they had received a body part of this secondary wife that this Levite had sent in every direction. Remember, they received that, and that was the thing that brought them all to this place. Tell us, how did this evil act happen? The Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, answered, I went to Gibeah and Benjamin with my concubine to spend the night. Citizens of Gibeah, remember, these are the people of God. We talked about them last week. Became to attack me and surrounded the house at night. They intended to kill me, but they raped my concubine and she died. Then I took my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout Israel's territory because they have committed a wicked outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are Israelites. Give your judgment and verdict here and now. Then all the people stood united and said, None of us will go to his tent or return to his house. Now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will attack it. By lot, we will take men, ten men, out of every hundred from all the tribes of Israel, and one hundred out of every thousand, and one thousand out of every ten thousand, to get provisions for the troops when they go to Gibeah and Benjamin to punish them for the outrage they committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered, united against the city. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin, saying, what is this evil act that has happened among you? So what we see here is amazing. For all of the book of Judges, all of it, the whole entire thing, we see story after story. The people of God did what was right in their own eyes. God sent a Canaanite people group to come in to oppress them. They cried out to the Lord, and God gave them a deliverer to deliver them out of the hands of that group of Canaanites that was oppressing them. And that's the cycle. Remember, we, we talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. The cycle happened again and again and again. And in every one of those stories, in every single one, no one, no judge, no deliverer, none of them, not even Deborah and Barak, none of them was able to amass the, the entire group of Israelites to do, come and to do something in this manner. Not one of them. Not one of them was able to amass a group this large. No, not one of them was able to get the entirety of all the Israelites together for one purpose and one goal. Yet here, in this passage, we see a terrible act. We see this crazy thing. We see them uh, rallying around this unnamed Levite. in this terrible atrocity to go and to fight against themselves. Remember, no judge, no deliverer could get anybody, any crowd this high. No, not one could get the whole assembly of Israel to go against any of the Canaanites 
But man, that, this unnamed Levite could unify the whole group of Israelites against one tribe of their own people. They had misplaced unity. And so what we see here, what we understand from this passage is that our goal should be godly unity, not this kind of unity. The atrocities of chapter 9 were enough to rally 400,000 warriors from every tribe, minus the tribe of Benjamin. All the leaders of every tribe came as one assembly. And what that means is that they came together as one unified to do this task. It was actually the language that they would use when they would gather at other times as one assembly to worship God. But here they were coming as one assembly, having nothing to do with their God, having to do with a task, having to do with something that, that, that wasn't outrage. It was a bad thing, yes. And, and we can get caught up in that and see, that oh, well, they're doing something good. They're coming against the situation. No, the, the problem is, is that they were so far gone, they came as one assembly, what would normally be for the worship of God. They came to do it to fight their own people, to fight God's people. They had misaligned unity. They had wrongly placed unity. And wrongly placed unity is still wrong. It's still wrong. They never got so on board with zeal for the Lord. They never got together in this way to worship God and to do that with zeal and passion and to do what God told them to begin with. They never got together and did this to eradicate the false gods of the Canaanites. They never did those things. Yet in this moment, they were unified against their own people. Think back to the Tower of Babel. It's a similar thing that took place there. This, these people unified together and built this tower not to worship God. They built the tower so they could become like God. And God came and confused their languages so that they would do what he had called them to do to begin with, which was to be fruitful and multiply and to go out into all the world. And they were stuck in one place doing one thing. You see, wrongly placed unity is wrong. If we get more jazzed about thoughts and ideas and agendas, yet don't live our lives for Jesus, we're failing to see the point of our lives. We live in a day and age where because of, the, 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 um, because of social media and, and just how, how quickly you can know anything about anything, we feel like we have to take a side automatically. And I would say, Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And so we need to be on Jesus' side no matter what we face. Now, I'm certainly not saying that we shouldn't be passionate about things that affect us in our day and age. What I'm saying is, is that what we are giving our whole entire lives to? Or are we saying, I'm a citizen of heaven first. I care about uh, the, the land I live in and the day I live in. And I want to leave a legacy for my grandkids. Yes, 
But am I more concerned about living here than where I will one day live forever? And when we get jazzed about all that and we get behind all that and we forget to live our lives for Jesus, we have failed to do what Jesus has called us to do. We've had misplaced unity and we need godly unity. What would you, can you imagine, can you imagine if the people of God, if the people of God in America particularly would get off of Facebook and get out of Twitter and quit fighting each other with, behind their keyboards and they would get out together, link arm in arm and go door to door, what could we do with that type of unity? Unity for Jesus, unity for the gospel. We can make all the difference in the world. If we get off our soapbox and get down on the streets and, and pound the pavement to share with the world that Jesus can save them, we'd be a lot better off. I don't know if you've been following any of this in Afghanistan. I read a story this week about a group of Christians that said, you know what, we're not just going to hide. We're not just going to go into hiding. We're going to go door to door and plead with our neighbors to trust Jesus with the time we have left. And guess what? In the midst of this great persecution that they're facing, the church is growing still. People are coming to faith in Jesus in the droves because the church there is unified for the gospel, and for the glory of Jesus, and using the time they have left to plead with people to be saved by him. And guess what? Jesus is actually doing it. He's actually saving them. And can, I hope you can see the contrast. And I don't mean to be ugly, and I, I'm, not, I'm certainly not trying to call anybody out because I get on my soapbox too. But if we quit worrying about all the stuff and go do something for Jesus, I think all the other stuff would eventually work itself out. The second thing we see in these same verses is that our gathering should be for God's glory. So our goal should be God's unity. Our gathering should be for God's glory. These people assembled in a way that people of God would normally have gathered to worship Him. This type of assembly was supposed to be for God and for God alone, yet they used it for something negligent and terrible. We are meant to live our lives for Jesus. So when we get together, it shouldn't be for us and our agendas. It's meant to be for Him. I don't want to be a preacher that gets up here and rails on political agendas and you won't hear me dip into philosophy. I will preach Jesus and Him crucified. I will teach the Bible and how it applies to our lives and because that's what this weekly gathering is for. This weekly gathering is for Jesus and to get our hearts in line with Him. 
and to, to push us and push me and to push you into further following him and further living our lives for him. That's what this weekly gathering is about, and that's what we will do as long as I'm the pastor. Our lives belong to our Savior because we were bought with a price by him, and so we live our lives for him. The third thing that we see, and we see this in, in remaining verses, and I'll kind of pull some out uh, because there's a lot here. But we see, lastly, that our great aim should be God's reign. Our great aim in life should be God's reign. Now listen, in this passage, the people of God lived their lives devoid of God. They did what they wanted and expected God to bless it. And when they did that, and when they came up against the, uh, the, the one group of, of Israelites, the Benjaminites, when, so when the whole assembly, and they took one from every ten, uh, 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 ten from every thousand, or one from every hundred, ten from every thousand, and a thousand from every ten thousand. They took all these people to go into battle against one tribe of Israel, of Israel just the Benjamites, Benjaminites. When they did that in their own strength and for their own glory, guess what? They lost. They lost. They failed. The Benjaminites ate their lunch, man. A few killed off the rest, killed off the others. It's fascinating, and I don't know why uh, Samuel or whoever wrote this, I don't know why they talked about the left-handers, but he talked about these left-handers from the, from the Israelites that could, uh, they could shoot uh, uh, something on a dime, right? And, and they, got, they got obliterated. The best that they had to offer, the Benjaminites obliterated them. Not once, but twice. We see this in verses 13 through 16. Hand over the wicked men in Gibeah so we can put them to death and eradicate evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. So the Benjaminites went hard and fast into, nope, we love our people and we don't care what they did. Instead, the Benjaminites gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go out and to fight against the Israelites. On that day, the Benjaminites mobilized 26,000 armed men from their cities. Besides 700 young, fit young men rallied by the inhabitants of Gibeah, there were 700 fit young men who were left-handed among all those troops. All could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the Israelites, apart from Benjamin, mobilized 400,000 armed men. Everyone, an experienced warrior, and they set out with, and went to Bethel and inquired of God. And we see in verse, uh, verses 17 and 18, um, they asked who should go first, and they said Judah. And what, they, what we see is that they were obliterated. They went up. The Benjaminites came out, verse 21, the Benjaminites came out of Gibeah and slaughtered 22,000 men of Israel on the field that day. And it happens again. They lost embarrassingly when they went in their own strength. But later in verse 26, we see the whole Israelite army went to Bethel where they wept and sat before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Then the Israelites inquired of the Lord 
In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was there, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, was serving before it. And the Israelites asked, Should we again fight against our brothers, the Benjaminites, or should we stop? And the Lord answered, Fight, because I will hand them over to you tomorrow. What we see is that God gives them the victory once they finally get their lives in order, once they humble themselves before God, God is with them. So what we see is that we need to call on God every day, asking Him to be with us. Asking Him to fight our battles. Asking Him to walk beside us in everything. When we come to God humbly, He is there. And this should be the aim of our lives. Not our glory, not our battles, not our fights, not our victories, but God's. So how do we, as the people of God, not make the same mistakes that the Israelites did? We humble ourselves before Him. We come before Him and say, Lord, we need You. We need You, Jesus. We need You. I can't do this on my own, Lord. We need You. This is about You, God. This is what we devote our lives to, You and Your glory. I received the verse of the day this morning, and, and, and it struck me. It's Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. You see, we have a job to do. We, we have a job to do. This is not like we just come and by osmosis, God lives his life through us. That's not what this is. You see, what we do, what people do, is we run headlong into living our lives for us. We listen to the lie of the enemy and say, I can be my own God. I can be self-sufficient. I can depend upon me, and I can accomplish whatever I need to. And we've run and we've misplaced everything in the wrong place. Instead, what God wants us to do is to humble ourselves before Him and say, Lord, unless you do something, what I do matters not. Unless you build this house, all my building will be in vain. Unless you watch over this city, all my Labor will be in vain. It doesn't mean that we stop laboring. It just means that we labor as He wants us to. And that He leads the way. You see, there's, beauty, there's this beautiful thing that happens in our lives. God is working. And He expects us to work as well. Theologians would call it God's sovereignty, God's control, God's always working. And they would also say man has his responsibility as well. And in some way, when that is aligned, it's not in vain. God is using it for his glory and for his good 
and beyond what we could imagine. And so today, Jesus wants to work in you. And he wants you to humble yourself before him and say, Lord, help me no longer to work for my own good, but help me to work for yours. Bow your heads and let's pray for a moment. Lord, we need you. I need you, God. Every day, I need you. Help us, Lord, to truly humble ourselves before you so that you can work, so that you can move, so that you can live through us and in us and with us. Help us, Lord, to truly bow before you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name. Maybe you're watching today, maybe you're here in this room and the Lord is speaking to your heart and this moment is a moment that you can respond to him. It's a moment that you can respond to him whether you're watching online in your living room or where you, wherever you may be or in this room. And we often talk about this altar, this stage, these stairs as a possibility for a, a place that you can come and humble yourself before the Lord. And I would say, this is a place that you can do that. And this is a thing that may require you to put aside whatever concerns you have and to say, Lord, I'm drawing a line today and I'm saying I am living my life for you, not forging my own path, but living my life and walking in the path you've, you've trudged already for me. Yeah, that can happen in your seat. It certainly can happen there. But maybe the Lord is saying, take a step. Make a declaration. This is my challenge to you, whatever God is telling you in this moment. Don't let me persuade you. Listen to him and follow. That's what this is all about. We need him today. We need him. As we stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, God is going to work in our hearts and lives. And I trust that, and I know you do as well. Let's sing to him now.